Welcome to Season 6 of the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We've been exploring the cocktail world for 15 years, sharing what we discover in our print and digital magazine, on our website, and all kinds of fun places. But this is where we're talking about all things cocktail. We're talking about the recipes, products, books, bars, and people. So, let's find out what's in this week's episode. Both of our products this week are homegrown. Heyman's Exotic Citrus Gin, a recent expression from a truly original London distiller, while Vapura is, perhaps a little more surprisingly, a premium English rum. We'll be learning how to make better cocktails, thanks to the book of the same name, from the talented team behind Candra Drinks. Then we hop on Eurostar to drop into the Cambridge, a Parisian bar inspired by British pubs. Our guest is Eric Lorenz, who tells us about his incredible journey from serving beer in his local pub in Slovakia via head bartender at the American Bar at the Savoy Hotel to serving extraordinary cocktails in his very own recently opened bar, Quaint, in Mayfair, and how he also came to be acting as martini consultant on the James Bond movies. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. So we have International Rum Punch Day coming up on the 20th of September. And with that in mind, obviously, we have to make a rum punch. Be rude not to. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there are many, many recipes that call for a lot of fruity juices, like orange and pineapple and things like that. But I've actually gone for one from Mr. Difford's Guide, which doesn't have any of the fruit fruitiness in it but Mm -hmm. it will still be quite sweet i think suitably sweet okay so what we're going with is 45 mils per serve of ray and nephew white overproof rum be careful with this one folks it's a it's a big one you can smell those sort of banana-y esters coming through Mm. there it's uh, very distinctive isn't it Okay, so what's so that, 45, 45 each? 45 yeah, each, so right. just doing okay. that. Right. It's quite a big E. Isn't it? So white rum, we don't usually use white rum, and definitely not the Ray Nephew, but it does really lend itself to a rum punch. Right. Okay, then we have 30 mils each per serve of sugar syrup, which okay. I've made earlier. And so that that's is... 16 total. Okay, and that was what, two to two one? Two to maybe? one, okay. so two parts sugar to one part water. Yeah. Then two dashes per serve of Angostura aromatic bitters. Mm-hmm. The only bitters for rum punch, I think. Yeah. There they cool. go. So that's four. And then 60 ml per serve of chilled water. Because in true keeping with punches, it is about one of sour, which is our lime, which I haven't added yet. So that's Mm -hmm. actually 15 ml per serve of lime juice, so 13 total. So it's, yes, one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, 
and four of weak. So four uh, of uh, the weak is the water. Okay. Then we'll add our ice. Because normally, obviously, you think of punch in a bowl and stuff. But there's yeah. reason why you can't do it like this. Absolutely. And and those yeah. the fruity ones, I mean, they do. It does work. It really does work. I've never said no to one, put it that way. But just making one at home, I didn't want to do it overly sweet, just in yeah. case yeah. people don't want that. So to shake it. Good old shake. I'm looking forward to this. And then it should be served over crushed ice. I haven't done crushed ice. We've got cubed ice waiting in our Collins glasses. Mm-hmm. Looking good. Really nice for today, which is one of our lovely hot days that we've Super got here hot, in so Blighty. Even more reason to look forward to this cooling rum punch. Absolutely. It would have been much better with the crushed ice because then it dilutes quite well and really tempers that overproof rum and then we serve it with an orange sail so (laughs) yeah so it's just a slice of orange with ideally a luxardo cherry in the middle but you can just have a maraschino cherry nice oh thank you so much well and this is our rum punch to celebrate international rum day cheers cheers delicious Okay, kicking off with something from London. Right. And it's a gin. So London, gin, great. It's from Heyman, which has been in making gin in London for a long time, since the 1860s. And it's still a family-run business, which is rather nice. We love that. Yeah, so... Um, they have lots of... They've got their classic London Dry. They've got Old Tom. They've got various expressions. And this is relatively new. It's launched two years ago, and it's called Heyman's of London Exotic Citrus Gin. Okay. So I'm getting the seal off. So I say relatively new. I suppose in the history of gin, two years is not that long, is it? Right, I'm pouring this out. So, so actually, let me pass... I'll pour this out, and then I'll pass you the bottle, because I think it's rather, rather a lovely bottle. There you go. Well, it's a traditional Heyman shape with all of the raised lettering on the top. Beautiful old typeface, which I love. But also this lovely new lemony labelling. So, you know, the echoes there, citrus. Lovely citrus on the neck as well, on the labelled. Yeah, it's a beautiful bottle. It is. It's all happy. (laughs) Singing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's happy, happy colour. So let me pass this over to you and make, see if this makes you happy too. So this is our exotic citrus gin. Mm, very, very citrus. Very citrus. That's just on the nose without even diving in. Mm. Oh, I sorry. I just did dive in. I couldn't mm. resist. Beautiful. It really tingles on the mm. tongue in a really lovely way. It really, it's lively. It's very fresh. It's very... As you say, bursting with citrus, but not overly acidic. It's very smooth and round and, yeah, very pleasant. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's kind of got the... It reminds me of that sherbetty lemon a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it is. But, but it's, yeah. it's, it's got a really lovely natural taste. Yes, mm. exactly. How would you have it? Well, what the thing is, they've got lots of suggestions mm. on their website. So it's always nice to see that. I would like to try this in a martini. I mean, it's not going to be your classic dry martini in that sense. But I think this, with just a little hint of vermouth, would be really nice. Mm. What about yourself? I think I'd have it long, actually, Mm. like in a fizz or something like that. Because 
it's not often that I say I prefer a long drink, but I think that this really lends itself to that. I Yeah, I, I, I think it would work in all manner of gin cocktails. I agree. So that is Heyman's Exotic Citrus Gin. And it is, I should have said actually, it's 41.1%. Okay. And it retails at a very reasonable £28. So there we go. Marvellous. Well, I'm sticking with the rum again, but we're still in England this time. Not London, but this rum is actually made in the heart of England. And it's called Vapura, and it's a spiced rum. It was launched. Now, this is very new because it was only launched in June this year. One of these projects that the founders started up in, in lockdown. And it's Charlie and Ollie Barkley and their friends Ed Jackson and Ross Sterling. So this is born out of their love of sugarcane spirits. And as I say, it's produced in the heart of England using their propriety yeast strain. Now, apparently this is supposed to be completely revolutionary and really new. Okay. I know nothing about it, but the Can proof is in the tasting. That bottle is one of the Isn't nicest it? It's so delicious. I didn't even pass time. it over. Here, let me pass it to you. It's got a lovely ribbing on it. But what I really like is this. It's got like a black label. And then in the middle, there's a, is that a moth or a butterfly? It looks like a butterfly because it's on the cap as well, if you look. Yeah. And it's kind of embossed into the glass. It's very, very elegant. It's gorgeous, isn't it? I really like that. You could actually, I think you could use that as a vase or something as well afterwards. Because you wouldn't want to throw it away. It's gorgeous. Right, right. here's your Vapora spiced rum for you. English spiced rum, if you don't mind. I know, I'm still like, wow, Mm. English rum. Anyway. Mm. I have to tell you what um, Mm. some of the elements are. So there's black cardamom, it has orange varieties, lime, nutmeg, cracked black cardamom, vanilla, pink peppercorns, bay leaves, ginger and fresh turmeric. Oh, nice, eh? Yeah, well, I mean, without you even telling me that, I just thought there's so much going on. A little bit of chocolatiness, mm. if that's a word, mm. which I really like. Very, very creamy mouthful. I don't know what the ABV it's is. It's about is 40, 42. 42. Yeah. And this is one of the two varieties that they've launched yeah. with. So there's the spiced and then there's the gold as well, which we don't have, okay. but... This does have, I think, that peppery finish is really, really mm. good as well because it's not got that cloying sweetness that a lot of spiced rums have. No. This one is much more grown up and distinguished, I think. Yeah, I'd love to make uh, something like a old-fashioned. Mm. And again, yeah. like you said, with Heyman's, there's a lot of recipes that they have. I haven't Always got them good. written yeah. down, but it's a really good one to to discover. And that is Vapura Spiced Rum, 70 CL. And as you said, Gary, it's 42% ABV. And the retail price is £50. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. My name is Anna Sebastian and I'm a hospitality consultant. My cocktail hack is really, really simple. You know, at the end of the day, we're making cocktails. You shouldn't have to invest a huge amount of money into buying fancy cocktail equipment unless you want to. There's some great alternatives that you have in your home, everything from utensils. But for a cocktail shaker, if you don't have one, the best thing to do is, whether it's a kilner jar or a jam jar, you could use that as a cocktail shaker. It does the same thing. Just make sure it's really, really secured on top so it doesn't go everywhere. 
but you could just put all of the ingredients in and shake it together with ice to chill it down and then pour it out into your glass and most importantly enjoy it So over to Paris for the Cambridge pub, or to give it its full title, the Cambridge Public House. Mm. It was a nice one to do, actually, because, I mean, we left in the morning, had a lovely lunch and then went to the bar and then were home later on in the evening. So it's just one of those things that it's not just about, oh, you've got to be in Paris. You could do that off the good old Eurostar. Eurostar, our absolute (laughs) favourite thing. So, okay. Anyway, so back to the Cambridge Public House, which I think is fascinating because it's they describe it as a parisian bar inspired by british pubs yeah but it's very french though isn't it it is it is i just love it i i think that the coziness that comes from the british pub element which is very laid back very casual but grown-up casual actually and yeah it does have elements of a british pub but for me it has the finesse of the french i think for me actually let's let's step back and just describe Mm. it briefly Mm. so when you approach it's this lovely blue i don't know if you call it a royal blue but it's it's very well get in there yeah and then it's got because we went when it was very hot and sunny the french windows opening out onto the onto the street which was very inviting and then you step inside the it's and this is where it, i suppose it's got a bit of pubness about it it's sort of dark woods natural textures they've got all these old oil paintings which i guess are from thrift shops mm. but going back to what you were saying i think the pub thing comes less from the look and more from the feel yes absolutely because looking around when we were there in, a, in an afternoon there were uh, one or two little groups. There are definitely a few sort of romantic couples and there are a few solo drinkers, mm, which is really kind of reflects nice. the pub and they were all at home. Yeah, like we exactly. Were. Um, there's some wonderful seating areas, particularly if you can bags. There's um, two sets of window seats, aren't yes. there? That one's more for groups and the other one's for couples. But if you can bags those tables, they're amazing because the window opens on, onto the street and it was completely open to daylight, which we yeah. loved. Yeah, you can sit and watch the world go by. Mm. So, so it should say they have craft beers, they have a good wine list and... Amazing for cocktails. A, for a pub, amazing cocktails, <laughs> which is the thing. So the menu is very, very simple. It's like a little clipboard, very small with lots of... And I think they sort of turn this over fairly regularly. Yeah, it's they? all about seasonality. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the drinks, but I think we have to talk about the ethos as yes. well because they're very much on sustainability, community, and doing great things for the planet as well. Really, and really. And to that effect, they've actually done something that I don't think I've seen with bars before and they've produced their own annual report which sort of they showcase all of their pledges what they've done right what they want to do yeah. lots of different initiatives where their carbon for, footprint yes, is where exactly. they want it to be so let me just do yeah. a little bit of the stats and then yes, you can please. do the drink so with their cocktail seasonality which they're very proud of they've created 70 cocktails with 80 percent of them made from seasonal ingredients and most of the syrups the cordials juices and and homemade products are all mostly organic they're a hundred percent run on green energy so even their unused ice cubes are melted overnight and used to water the plants 
big yeah. tick. Yeah. They partner with Eco Spirits to cut down on waste. So they've saved 342 glass bottles last year wow. alone. Mm. And they also, they do great things for the neighbouring communities, but also abroad. And they look after their staff as well. So all the staff get three days off a week. They get overtime. They get annual bonuses and all sorts of goodness. Yeah. So I just wanted to champion no, that. I think you're absolutely right because, you know, you walk into a place like that and there's no reason why you should know any of that. But isn't it great to know it? It really yeah. is. It really is. Okay, you get to the drink. Okay, so on to the cocktails. They have a lovely section at the beginning called Tiny Bevs. Yeah, I love that. Uh, bevs, Tiny Bevs. <laughs> um, three drinks, which are kind of like tasters. I think they're kind of like about half the size of a normal mm. cocktail. I think they were about seven euros. But if you really like them, then you can order... A full-size one. So we did actually order a couple of Tiny Bevs. Mm. Um, I had a Gimlet Julep, and I love their description. They call it two classics sharing a bed. So <laughs> what's not to like about what's that? What's not to like? Uh, and that was made with mint, Dolin Dry Vermouth, and Woodford Reserve Bourbon. And, you know, just a really simple little drink and so tasty. Mm. You know, who that's putting those two different classics, as they call them, together – Really nice. Really made sense. I had the Cool Cat, which is described as charismatic, nutty and Latin. Mm. It has Flor de Cana, rum, Dolin Rouge, Oloroso Sherry, Noir Saint-Jean and Sesame. And it really was cool indeed. Loved it. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're from the Tiny Bevs. And should just say they have a house cocktail section. I think there were about eight drinks in there. They have a cocktail of the... Uh, of the week and then they also have a last chance so you know that when you keep going back and then your favorite drink's gone yeah so they give you a bit of a heads up yeah. that this drink is going soon because it's Absolutely. out of season so and it's get, a really nice thing because yeah. it really champions the seasonality yes. of it so yes. you know also what keeps it fresh is that you never know what's going to be on the menu as well so there's lots of reasons to want to go back which Indeed. you know apart from just hanging out in it because it's super cool but that helps as well yes I think. absolutely and very very briefly a couple more drinks we had cigarette after sex that was mine i thought you know come on if you've got a drink name that you've got to try it and it was really lovely it had that smokiness it was slow gin mezcal and aqua de jamaica and it did have this smoky sexiness about it no garnish it was just really very cleverly done and there was just something as i say super sexy about it really nice and i love the name and lastly, I had, you were talking earlier about all their sustainability mm. credentials and, and rightly so. What I liked about this drink, first, it's made with their leftover brioche from the day before. Mm. So they use that and then they, they combine that with peanut. They toast the bread. It's got Flor de Cania, 12-year-old, Amir Duvada. So they put all this together. So again, you don't need to know the backstory of it being sustainable, but what it is, is a bloody delicious drink. It's so smooth and tasty. That smoothness reminded me of like a that sort of creaminess you get from a really good single malt. Not the flavour, the texture, mm. but so, so delicious. Mm. And then lastly, we have to mention the food. We have oh, these yes. wonderful sausage rolls. I called them sausage rolls of joy because they <laughs> were just delicious. With I think it was a homemade ketchup on, yeah. on the side. Yeah. Really great. So... 
So, you know, if you're doing your Eurostar trip and you don't want to do lunch beforehand, go there and have the, the have sausage rolls. And there was another... Cheesy pasties. Cheesy pasties. Mm. It's posh pub rub, isn't it? Really? Yeah, really, yeah. really good. So that is the Cambridge over in Paris. And we recommend treating yourself to a little day trip over there and checking it out. The brand new issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine is out now. And it's all about going local. Our homage to the people, bars and products supporting, celebrating and championing their surrounding areas. To get your print or digital issue, simply visit thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine. Very, very new book this week. Actually come out, I think, within the last I don't even think it's come out yet. Oh, it's that's just... <laughs> just how new it is. We got, a pre- we got the launch <laughs> ink one. ink is still but... well yes, on the page. Yes, indeed. It is called, I should tell you, How to Make Better Cocktails, Cocktail Techniques, Pro Tips and Recipes. And it comes from a team made up of Sebastian Hamilton Mudge, Natalia garcia Bork and Andy Shannon. And between them, they know their stuff. They've been yeah. ambassadors. They've worked on different brands. They're bartenders. They've traveled all over the world. So between them, I think they know what they're doing. Yeah. And we also, we interviewed um, Andy right on series one about um, He was Kandra one of our drinks. very first yes, guests. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is, yeah. this is mm. the, the project going forward, isn't yeah. it? Well, back then, I think that was all, well, it was probably over two years ago when mm. we spoke to Andy and he was telling us about Kandra, which stands for candid drinks advice that still exists as a website but that's evolved into this lovely book i love so this book let me pass it over to you I, what i like first and foremost is it's beautiful and it feels like a manual mm. so it feels it's like a good kind of size good isn't it? size what's this size a5 it's I not quite it's, a5 it's a yeah, bit bigger it's somewhere yes but it's sort of um it feels like a manual Very it feels handy. like functional like you're gonna sit down and stand up even and use it yes and sort of echoing your um your product choices this week it's got that lovely sunshine yellow cover so there's something very happy about it i really like the fact that it stands out proud doesn't it it's not shying away but in a really really fabulous it makes you want to open it up and get involved doesn't it and it's very much aimed at the home bartender and i like the fact it's broken down into you know very clever sections on the basics it talks about balancing drinks you know importance of ice shaking and stirring all those things but it really goes into a lot of detail Mm. about those sort of things to understand the equipment and the techniques and it's beautifully laid out because there's a mixture of photographs but also illustrations and really lovely little illustrations about each of the techniques as well so it brings it all to life and it's very user-friendly it is and i like the photography because it's very clean Mm. very beautiful and it kind of helps you look at it and think oh that's kind of what i want my finished drink to look like Mm. so and it also they do other nice things so i think what's good is it teaches you how to make drinks then it teaches you to kind of then experiment and go a little bit further so as taking an example the negroni so once you've mastered that it then teaches you to do sort of variations like an americano and a bouvardier and things like that so it kind of once you you're off and running i think you could really learn mm. so it's much a very trusty book. book you know one of yeah. those that you know that you could really 
learn a lot from, but also you know that you're going to be guided in the right yes. direction and very, as I say, trusted. It's great. Yeah, I, I love really it. like this. So, so that is how to make better cocktails, cocktail techniques, and pro tips and recipes. And it's published by Mitchell Beasley and it retails at just twelve ninety nine. Lorenz began his career in hospitality in a local pub, hometown of Nitra, Slovakia, where beer was the thing. Buying a cocktail book for that bar, though, was the start of an incredible journey. Saving up for a year, he finally had enough to head to cocktail school in Prague. After working in the city's bars, his dream destination was London. A top night spot in the capital at the time was Attica. Here, he swiftly ascended from barback head bartender, before going on to Japanese restaurant Nozomi, deftly honed his bartending skills. Classic bars including the Purple Bar at the Sanderson and the Connaught followed, before landing the prestigious position of head bartender at the American Bar at the reopened Savoy Hotel in 2010. After nine spectacular years, he left to found Quaint. His many accolades include winning Diageo World Class Bartender of the Year, Bartender of the Year by Condinest Traveller US, and Best International Bartender at Tales of the Cocktail, not to mention also becoming the official Martini consultant on the James Bond films. Renowned for his Japanese-inspired technique, combined with a very personal theatricality, He's one of the world's most famous and respected bartenders. Eric, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you so much, Gary. Hello, Sandri. Hello, lovely. So good to see you. And thank you for taking time out of your holiday to actually speak to us. So let's start by telling us about your route into bartending. So that was a nice intro, Gary. Really capturing my 20 years of my career or so because that's when it started really in a hospitality management school back in Slovakia where we really went through all the aspects of front of house back of house and when we were in a front of house segment we were going through a waiter receptionist and the head waiter and so on and also one of them was the bartender and that was something I never seen in Slovakia because that time Slovakia has zero cocktail bars, no cocktail culture, just something from a VHS tape plus demonstrated by our teacher some classic cocktails such as gin fees. I remember there was a silver fees and a white lady and a dry martini. Those were, I think, the four drinks that she demonstrated to us and that really caught my attention. And plus that VHS videotape of a bartender flaring which i never seen before in my life and it's like this is so cool and in the meantime i came across a cocktail competition that was held in prague so i went to see this competition and this was like a bartender of the year cocktail competition something like a mini world class of day version it was so interesting to see and then i went to the first cocktail bar which was a threaters and the baxis and over there, I could see real bartenders making real things. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I came back to Slovakia and started my research. And I found out there's nothing in Slovakia whatsoever. Only thing which I found was the standard IBA association was doing some uh, courses. But I found it very plain because they were more talking about once you complete the course, you will receive an international diploma. It's like, 
I don't need a diploma. I want a knowledge. I want to learn. So I skipped that. And in this book, which was given to my colleague, as I was flipping through the pages on the last page was the advertisement for, so it was written by Roman Uhlisch, very well-known bartender. And uh, he had his own bar school. I just gave him a call. And ask him, hey, I'm Eric. I'm looking for bartending school. I want to learn how to flare. And he said, forget about the flare and put the phone down on me. <laughs> so I was like, what was this? I called him back again and I said, okay, I want to learn how to make cocktails. He's like, that's a different story because I don't teach flare. I, I, I teach cocktails. So it's like, okay, I'm interested. It was three months course, Monday to Friday, full on, like going to school proper, which means I had to resign for my current position, pack my stuff, take my savings pay the, the school fee and moved to Prague for about three months. I went, I had this long hair up to my shoulder. First thing he told me when I showed up, I was like, if you want to find the job as a bartender, that hair needs to go. Next day I went to hairdresser, cut it straight away shorts. Next day I showed up at school and he seen me like, okay, you're taking this seriously. So he took me on his wings and he really seen that I was so into it. And then one day I came to school and he goes, oh, by the way, I'm consulting uh, on the first cocktail bar that is about to open in uh, Bratislava. And since you are the only one and you're from Slovakia, you're coming with me because they're short of stuff, obviously. Sure. So on the weekend, Friday afternoon, we jump into the car and we drove in six hours to Bratislava. He introduced me to the owner. I jumped behind the bar. My hands were shaking, but I loved it. It was completely proper atmosphere, suddenly Friday nights, evening, bars get busy. It's like, wow, this is unbelievable. So I did Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday uh, we went back to Prague. And then he's so he just like, so how was it? Would you come back next Friday? I was like, definitely, yes. So I showed up next Friday again with him. And then Omne sat me down and says, like, would you be interested to come every Friday? I was like, yes. So I was traveling after my school from Prague for six hours to work on a Friday night and a Saturday night. And then Sunday evening, I was taking a night bus, which was departing from Nitra at 1 a.m., reaching Prague around 8 a.m. So I had not enough time to go home, but it was too early to go to school. So what I was doing, I just had his book with me. I jumped on a metro and I was going from one end to the metro station to come back to the other end of the metro station and back and forth four times to kill a time while I was reading his book to re learning the recipes. Oh my God, no wonder you're <laughs> such a good bartender. <laughs> and then I was just doing this for three months until uh, I completed the school. And he told me that when I finished my exams, there was like written exam, practical, knowledge, so on. And he told me, you just made one mistake out of all. He goes, if you wouldn't make that mistake, I would give you the money back because nobody did it what you just done here. I said, oh, very pleased to hear that. And I just want to carry on and thank you for what you done to me. So I went back to that Bratislava bar. I started working there. And as the year was passing by, I was the three and a half years, I realized that again, it's like we're just doing the same thing all over again, because there was no development, no nothing new. But then I found it like, okay, two things. I want to discover more about the bartending because I knew there is much more about it. And every time I searched or came across a book or some information, everything was in English. Plus we were in a capital of Bratislava, lots of foreigners, everyone was speaking in English. I said, okay, now I know what I need. I need to learn English. And the best way how to learn it is just go to a foreign country rather than trying to learn back in Slovakia for two hours and then nothing. So I went, I packed my stuff. 
I moved to London. I had my language school prepared. Again, my savings went to that. So I put all my savings into six months prepared language. So the first bar I, or club I walked into was Attica. I asked for a job and the guy just behind the bar just like, okay, come next day. I showed up next day and there was this bar back from Kosovo. It's like, you knew? Yeah. Take this, clean this, take that, pull that. And I started doing my thing. And suddenly this guy behind the bar is keep looking at me. It's like, why does this guy keep looking at me? What's wrong with him? So after half an hour, he comes to me. He's like, hey, come with me. I was like, what I have done? I've just been here half an hour and I've already been taken out from the club into the fire exit. I was like, what the heck is going on here? And the Dale Llewellyn was a new, he was an assistant bar manager of the bar manager who told me to come next day, but he never handed this over and he went on his holiday. So he went on his holiday. While he was on a holiday, he resigned. So I never seen him. <laughs> and until like probably six, seven years later, I came to Sanderson Hotel and we bumped into each other and he recognized me straight away. I was like, I cannot believe it, you've done this to me. So this Llewellyn takes me out to a fire exit with a South African accent. I could not understand a single word what he was asking me and telling me. I'm just standing and looking at him and it's like, I have no clue what you're asking. So he's like, have you worked in a bar before? I was like, yes. You know what to do? Yes, go back. Because he knew that there's like, no way to go with this guy. So just like, let him do what he can do and see how he goes. So I ended up working as a busboy, not even a barbeck, which was basically collecting uh, empty glasses, brushing a floor, cleaning ashtrays, and helping a waitress when waitress would have a big order, taking to the tables. But then I was doing this during the night. So the club was opening at was eight o'clock. So we would start at six, eight to open until four, three o'clock was closing. I would get home at four or five and nine o'clock. I was going to my language school for six months. I got promoted from busboy to barback, head barback, bartender, head bartender. And then I said, okay, two years, we're enough in the club. I can speak English. I've got some contacts and I want to move on. So I went to the owner who owned the Attica before. He then opened another Japanese restaurant in Nicebridge. Called. So I worked there. That's where really the Japanese connection become really strong. So when my turn was going on a holiday, it's like, hey, where are you going? Everyone's like, I'm going to Ibiza. I'm going to Mallorca. And me being me, is like, I'm going to go to Tokyo. I want to see bartenders, what they do there. So I ended up in Tokyo, going to bar and just watching and admiring bartenders. And over there, I've seen, hold on a second. This is completely something different. I can see bartenders absolutely got this different, attention to details, approach to bartending, which you don't see in London. I never seen such a clean, methodic movements and the way how they did it. The first time I've seen the crystal, crystal clear ice cubes and ice carving and all that, the bar tools, the equipment, everything, glass was just super different and interesting. So that really caught my attention that next year I was back again in Tokyo and I managed to, through Stan Vadruna, that he made a good relationship with Kauzo Ueda of Tender Bar. So I managed to have like an internship with him where I learned under him the techniques. And then I just completely fell in love with Japan. And I was literally going, I think, every once a year until it really turned it into a business that I've been probably in Tokyo and Japan maybe 12 times or 13 times. And for me, Japan was complete eye-opener because I've seen everything what I never seen in European bartending. And then from uh, Nozomi, 
I thought, okay, something. Then I discovered in London what was happening was like you have these clubs, you have these amazing restaurant bars, but you have also amazing hotel bars, which I never seen anywhere around the world. So the first I managed to go to was the Purple Bar at the Sanderson Hotel, thanks to Giuseppe Gallo because he was the supervisor there. So he was my manager. So he seen me doing all these Japanese things. He saw he like, we need to hire this guy. I got there, so I brought the ice cube. I actually called the Eskimo Ice that time was the first person who called Eskimo and I told them I'd like to order ice block. But that time Eskimo Ice was only doing the statues. They never were doing ice blocks. So probably the purple bar that time, 2000, I think it was 2006, was probably the first bar in London, or probably in the UK, that was using crystal clear ice blocks in the cocktails. And then it, it kind of started getting the attention. I remember when Simon Deford came, that's where the first time I met him. And he just came with Ago. I remember because I was already, I was applying for a job at the Connaught and they came. So I don't know if it was kind of like Ago came to check me out, how I'm doing, <laughs> what I'm doing. But they came and Simon Deford, I remember, he gave me his card and I said, oh my God, I can't believe it. Simon Deford, the guy who I was desperately looking for his class magazines when I came to London, he giving his business card and then he was just send me all these recipes of the drinks you served me today because this was unbelievable. I said, wow. And a year later, suddenly I'm getting a nomination for International Bartender of the, the Year at Tales of the Cocktails. It was a good boost. And really after that, I seen that I want to move on because I felt like, okay, now I want to be a part of an opening. So I've done a lot of jumping on someone else's train there was already everything set up menu was ready but i really would love to be a part of it and idle in a cocktail bar a hotel bar and i just heard that the connaught bar is reopening and they're hiring so that was the top moment when i contacted them where ago was already i think on board or he was going to sign a contract and that time i said okay if ago takes it i'm taking it too because that's the thing which i really wanted to do is be a part of a great team and i couldn't wish a better partner in crime than Agostino Perona. So I received the contract after all the interviews I went through and I said, I'm not going to sign it until Ago will sign it. So I was keep messaging him, Ago, have you signed it? Not yet, not yet. I was like, oh my God. And they were asking me from the corner, I was like, can you send us the contract? Like, I'm still reading. <laughs> and then Ago messaged me, yes, sign. Perfect. I signed it too. So amazing two years at the Connaught, obviously part of the opening team, building the menu. And uh, super proud of it because how can I not be that some of the drinks that we created, the Connell Vladimir, we, I had the recipe ready at the Sanderson, but I said, I'm not going to release this here because this is something special with the celery air on the top, serve it straight up rather than traditionally always on the ice. So when we opened the Connell bar, I said, I've got this Vladimir recipe with the celery air. So what the heck is that? Let me show you. So I demonstrated it as just like, this is super cool. Ago goes, let's put some nutmeg on it. I said, let's put some nutmeg on it. <laughs> And that recipe, it's actually now 15 years still on the menu. So yeah, and two years passed at the Connaught. It was one week, was the most amazing week probably in my career when I went to Greece for the World Class Finals and I got back as a global winner. I go, then he was going to New Orleans and within the seven days apart from each other, he came back as an international bartender of the year. So we had like in one week, one of the, most amazing celebration and and like wow what is th this is the best thing can happen that both of us got something in the, within a space of seven days so and obviously with that uh, career started shaping and evolving and offers were coming and one of them was 
the offer from Daniel Benreuter who called me from the Savoy. And then I had to come back and sit down with Ago and Santino that, hey, I've got this offer from the American bar. I said, bartender. And Ago looked at me and was like, brother, you know that those offers are not coming every day. And this is something super unique. And you should think about it and make sure you do the right decision. He was amazing supporting me. And I've seen it again as a step in my career and something new. And also a new challenge because there was another opening. And I always told myself the best thing to open your own bar is to learn from other openings. So I did two openings back to back, and that was probably the best thing that I can give any advice to a bartender who wants to open a bar. Before you open your own bar, be a part of at least two or three openings. So you can see what does it take rather than having the dream of opening a bar, but not having a clue about how to. It's easy to put a cocktail menu together. You can be a great creative bartender, but opening a bar is not just creating a cocktail menu. It's a puzzle of many. But did you always want to open your own bar? So what happened, I had this, of course, like, okay, I had in my mind, like, this is what I want to do. And it was kind of organically shaping towards, okay, maybe I should open my bar one day. And it goes back again to Simon DeFord, because after when I won World Class, he was contracted by World Class doing the book and doing all the photo shoots. And he was just telling me, he goes, Eric, now is the time. Now you really should do your own bar because you won the title and and that opens you a lot of doors and you should. So I, I started con- strongly, not just thinking about that, doing my research is like, what does it take to open a bar? I came across, okay, there's some licensing requirements in England, which is slightly different than somewhere else and A3, A4 that time. So I started studying those licensing and, and areas. And then, then I remember guys from Pearl, I asked the guys, like, guys, where do you, when you search for bars, because they were like opening one venue after another, I was like, how do you find these venues? And then, and I remember Tristan shared me a few links that, hey, these are the links that if you want to look for a, a property that they are only focusing on uh, restaurant and bar venues. And one day, Douglas Anka, rest in peace, he came to the bar and he goes, what are you up to? It's like, I'm looking for open, I'm looking to open my bar. So I'm looking for a site. And he left it like that. And a few months later, I remember I was in Italy doing a masterclass and I got a call from Douglas. And he said, hey, do you know Murad Mazuz? I was like, mm, I don't know him in person, but I know, of course, Sketch and know who's behind. It's like, okay, let me introduce you to him because he got something for you. So he introduced me to Murad and Murad take me to Momo and he take me downstairs and he showed me the site. And I'm thinking to do something with it. I was like, this is perfect. He has this amazing, charming spot that is under the restaurant, central London, very unique, very much Casablanca. That's why the whole theme suddenly started exploding in my head. It's like, yeah, I'm interested. However, what happened was he said, Eric, I had another guys coming in and on Monday they will tell me if they are interested to take it or not. But those guys, they just wanted to do a club with not much investment, just throwing a party. And when I told him, so he sat me down, he's like, what would you like to do here? And I said, I want to do a proper cocktail bar with this. It's like, no, everything out and make it brand new. So he told me, and he was a proper businessman and he was a businessman mentor to me because saying, the lease is coming to the end. So it's no point to invest because the lease is just about to expire. So we need to be, think about it. He goes, you know what? The guys on Monday, they came back to me. They said they want to take it. I let them to run it for a year and a half. I renegotiate the new lease. I renegotiate the new lease. And then we can start what is in your mind. So I had to wait two years 
two years. So when I met him first time, it was two and a half years exactly when we sat again on the head on street and we signed the contracts with Murad that I'm taking the place downstairs. And I think, you know, you could, if you could share with us what you then went on to call that bar. So the name came from actually Margarita was describing something about the bar has one bar and he used the word quaint. And I said, what is the quaint? So she starts explaining me. So it's this charming. And I was like, this is what I want to do here. This is very unusual, very old fashioned, like almost like a hotel bar, but slightly different. So it's like, I really like the name, but I don't want to call it a quaint, but I will use the phonetic of it to play with the words because I want to make more of a link of the bone of the play of the word that has the description of meaning of it. So back to Murat, signed the contract, went into that and convinced him that what I, I described him what I want to do here. And he believed me because he said, okay, let's do that. So basically everything was inside, went out, designed a new bar, designed completely everything new, the vintage cabinet. He had this little VIP area. I was like, I want to use this as a prep room, as a lab, which is amazing that it's within the bar, but it's completely hidden. So it's like, okay, we make this door invisible. So it's a great collaboration because he's seen my vision and he completely led me just do what I really wanted to do. And one of the parts of the agreement was that I could keep the name. We agreed that the name IP, it's owned by myself because thing was, it was subcontracted. He owned the lease. So I was thinking, and this is another hint to bartenders, you really need to think forward and need to have every single angle of the business carefully and protected. managed. Yeah, exactly protected. And then I was thinking, I can't own the lease. That means I will run the bar. I will make the reputation of the bar and spend all my time and energy here. What happened if one day someone comes from Saudi Arabia and he buys the Momo? He sells it to him and I've got nothing. So I told him, because Margareta was doing the contract agreement, I want to make sure that I own the name. And he agreed, which was a good thing, that he said, okay, fair enough, you will be there, you will be the face of it, you will be building it, it's your bar. But it was a joint venture, so I invested into it and I, I was actually repaying it. Then that was another investment that monthly I was, it was, they, he was taking a, a fee for investment. So it was a both part way. It worked very well. Unfortunately, the COVID came and that was a bad timing because redoing the bar, redoing the restaurant, redoing the next door, which used to be the shisha room, which was now the diner. So it was 1.9 million investment into the whole thing 15 months before COVID. So for him, it was a very difficult period and the restaurant was very hard to restart. And he said, I cannot afford to pour more finance into the business because it's been too much in a, such a short period of time and we don't know what's going to be next, how long this COVID is going to last. And, and then uh, he just called, called he just threw the towel into the ring and he called me, I was in Dubai, saying, unfortunately, the place is going to liquidation. I'm unable to reopen it. So it was a very challenging period where I had to make a Zoom call and tell all the staff members saying the bar is actually closing down and not reopening until we don't know when. However, again, behind the scene, Eric already had the Stratton Streets. I already had that as another approach them because that was my usual route from Green Park. I would take the Green Park and walk through Mayfair and I was just like looking around what's going on around. And that site, I just randomly passed by one afternoon and I seen site available. 
I just call them. Normally those goes under the table between the letting agents and high-end operators. And if nobody wants it, then it's like, there we go. If nobody wants it, it's out there. So you call directly? Yeah, because it was out there. It was advertisement in a window saying a retail place, 149 square meters available. I called them, is this still available? It's like, yes. And it's like, okay. Turning the empty side with no lease, no license to what you see today, it was... It was an absolute life lesson for me, but a good one. Yeah, because I was going to ask, what lessons did you learn from quaint mark one to quaint mark two? The difference between one and two was that one was actual site with the existing license. So it was just a refurbishment. So there was not that much things I had to consider because everything was in the place. Everything was all just replaced by new. In new, in the number two, it was, there was no old that to replace by new. So I had to find what is it going to be there and how is it going to be there. So I had to do the research for the things that they never been there and try to find the right things, like finding the carpets. So I just didn't want to buy ordinary carpets. So I wanted to kind of recreate the carpet, which was in the number one grade, which was this hairy bone, brownish, almost looks like a wooden carpet. So I wanted to do that. So I really went out to a, a carpet shop that's, can you do baseball carpets? Uh, what is in your mind? So I showed them. So I think I had like four different samples through a period of nearly two months that I was back and forth. Didn't like the color, didn't like the shape and just went, went until, okay, carpet is done. Now the station was like, here finally I have this opportunity to do this chef's table like island bar but i wanted to make the island bar that the guests are part of it rather than they're just in the middle and everyone just looking at it and it just has that beauty of it but it has the functionality that guests are actually part of it so i always wanted to do it in this way and here was the space because i had the opportunity to do it there so designing that and coming to like every single inch of that island bar that it's perfectly fits into that matching with the back bar. In the back bar, I had the two wine coolers. I had to go and find a guy who can make it for me in Greece. So the marble ring, which is around the bar, I got a samples that they were coming to me. It's like, no, I don't like this. I don't like that. I like that, that. So I went out and I sourced and I found. Then the furniture, I contacted my friend that uh, he makes the furniture in Portugal. I showed him some pictures and I was like, I want to recreate this furniture. So, and then said, okay, what uh, you know that again, the regulation are completely different in the UK because of the fire regulations. She has to be treated. Oh my God, what is this? So I had to look into that, found this one out. So I went out, I found the company, I found the fabrics that has been treated. So I could just like buy the fabric, send it to him. He makes the, the furniture and bring it back so you don't have to do anything with it. So same with the leather, same with the stools, same with the tables, ceiling, found the rattan. And then the wall, I had this massive 14 meters wall and there were some ideas what to do there. It's like, no, I still wasn't, it was missing the essence. Like I want something different there rather than just mirrors or paintings or whatever. So then my friend of mine who's an amazing artist back in Slovakia, I thought him, hey, can you do this? but slightly different. So I showed him a Polynesian art picture. He looked at it, yeah, sure, no problem. He flew over in eight days. He hand-painted the whole wall. Wow. And Plans. it looks great. It's a beautiful bar. It's a beautiful bar. And could you tell us about the some of the beautiful drinks and food as well? 
Mm. Then there was the food. That was the funny one because obviously I had to provide the food and I was going one shift, second shift, third shift, agreements, salary, agreeds, offer, here we go, silence. And suddenly, Caitlin Winkler, she introduced me to Yoni Ketanen, who is our amazing chef that uh, is like, hey, speak to Yoni, he's a good friend and an incredible chef. So it took me a while to get in contact with him because he's a busy man and he's he spends he likes to spend his time in the kitchen rather than behind a computer. And uh, then he sent me his CV and I opened his CV and I said, Fat Duck, Jason Atherton, Kane, Sydney. Oh, amazing. St. John's. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, okay, I want to see this guy. Met him, show him the sites, like to all the chefs. So it's like, here is the, it's a humble kitchen, but I think if he set it up in the right way, he can do amazing things. Complete coincidence, like many others which happened into my life, was when I told him this is a quaint, and he goes, I know quaint. When I used to work Jason Atherton in a social on Poland Street, I used to come to quaint after my shift. I was like, are you kidding me? It's like, yeah, I loved it there. So it's like, okay, so this is quaint number two, a little bit updated, new things happening, and I want to bring the, the bar food into the level where are the drinks and I, now I strongly think that the, <laughs> we need to compete with him to be on his level because what he's doing is absolutely amazing. It really so, is a great match I must say. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about so the drinks in, as well. Sorry. Yeah so the drinks was like okay what I really wanted to do so we, we're talking a lot about this tasting menu because he really wanted to do that and so like let's hold on a tasting menu just good slowly let's just do a selection of nice snacks that they work with the drinks but the, the tasting menu was always there so drinks wise I created four pages because what I really wanted to do is not just a selection of 10 drinks or 15 menu. I was like, let's go out there and do a proper big list. If people wanted to come back regularly, there's always something to try. Because after three, four visits, you drink the whole entire menu. So you don't want to do that. You go to a bar, you always want to try something different. So it's like, let's go with a, okay, not 100, but how far we can stretch. So far we could stretch was 27 drinks. That's including the soft and vintages as well. So it goes like, we got a good number of drinks that we can execute and how we do that. And so let's do in the pages. And then each page would be this kind of like, almost like a tasting menu. So each page has its own martini style, different martini or gimlet. And one page is actually the Bloody Mary. And slowly as you would go down in a second drink or the third drink would be either something more savory got some fermented cucumbers there or something with a passion fruit or watermelon. Now we're changing the watermelon to uh, raspberries. But on the bottom of the menu, you would always find something based on a dark spirit to be there, something to digest, to wrap up, to build, like create a nice journey from top, very aperitive, refreshing, savory, and then to finish that page. So almost like a tasting menu for the bar and another thing about that is there are drinks that are pretty much permanent because there are no seasonal ingredients in it so that's those drinks will last as the menu will be there for a year and then there are some drinks that they have some seasonal ingredients we will be changing them so it has a good versatility which means that there are drinks that we don't have to worry about they are there we try them we taste them they work and then there are seasonalities, and in those ones, it gives us a room to always play and try something different. Perfect. Wow. That is one incredible journey you've just <laughs> taken off, Eric. Uh, I feel exhausted <laughs> just hearing about it. <laughs> I mean, the trials... Gary, that's why I'm on a holiday right now. We've been to 
both quaint mark one and quaint mark two and both are amazing but definitely this one i think it captures everything that you wanted to do right from the beginning and Mm. it lends itself to you and your style so beautifully and also not just the drinks but also this amazing food that you've got there people Mm. must try the food as well as the drinks But out of the many, many accolades and out of the many amazing things that have happened in your life, what's been the most important or what are you the proudest of? What I'm proudest of is that uh, when I'm getting the feedback from the guests and what they're starting with is like, yeah, the menu is nice, the drinks are nice, it's a nice decor, it's a nice setting, but what stuff you have there, the service. Yes. And for me, that's probably yeah. the most amazing thing that... Uh, I could hear that uh, I really was carefully selecting those individuals that they are there, that who are there. I didn't look into the menu that this is a world champion X, Y, Z. I looked, okay, it works in the places. For me, the important is if someone wants to send me a CV, it is as soon as possible if you were working three months, four months, six months in a venue because that's for me, it's a red flag. I want to see mm. someone who is consistent. So I looked into that, okay, he worked here one year, he worked there one and a half, he worked there two years, amazing, come sit down, we talk, and then we started talking and for me it was, are you interested to be a part of a team? Which means I'm not hiring you as a bartender yet, in a contract says bartender, but as a part of a team. I have no barbecues. I have no servers, I have no bartenders, I have no supervisor, I have no general manager, I have no titles. I have group of team, group of individuals who are talents of many and they are working together and each of them brings something together. And we are turning rounds that you are part of every single position through your week. So you understand what is it to be just cleaning the glassware and supporting the bar. You understand when you have to communicate with the guest. You understand what it has to producing drinks. And if you are willing to do this, we can carry on the conversation. And everyone who you see there, they're all like, I love this. This is amazing because this is how I like to work. This is how I work in some places. Perfect. And then the persona. And they were all different. They have their own charisma and amazing uh, individuals that they really love the hospitality and they are there to do their best. And for me, that was the most amazing thing that uh, I could achieve that put them together and bringing them as a team and showing you together who we are and what we do. And for me, that was the most satisfying thing when I'm reading or receiving the feedback that the service, the people, how they made us feel was amazing. And I said, we can't let you go, Eric, without telling us a little briefly about your connection with James Bond. Hmm. So that started back at the, when I was still at the Savoy and with my dear friend Paddy Renouf who called me one day, he's like, Kerry, can you do a three, three seats at the counter? I'm bringing someone special. And special was a Bond girl, Octopussy, and Barbara Broccoli herself. It's like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> That's special. That was very special. That's Paddy. And so I started serving them, being my usual, making them drinks. And with that, uh, with that, uh, it just uh, evolved into that. That Paddy just won in the middle of that night. It's just like Barbara, why don't you take Eric into the Bond movies? And she goes, "Don't worry, Paddy. He's sinking into it slowly." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Year later, when Skyfall was filmed in uh, London, Paddy calls me saying, "Hey, Eric, uh, I just had a call with Barbara." 
And she asked me your number, so be prepared. I shared your number to her. She's going to call you. I like, okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> a few hours later, I just received a phone call with a, from a phone number ending 007. How cool is wow. that? <laughs> I love that. The best. <laughs> and when I've seen that, I was like, this already starts so cool. <laughs> it's like hi eric he's barbara i don't know if you remember me i'm right now probably a bit noisy i'm in a helicopter <laughs> she was in a helicopter factory choosing <laughs> helicopters so i'll be very short i just want to let you know that i just spoke with patty share me a number and i'd like you to be a part of the bond movies like, oh so what am i doing i wanted to teach the actress how to act as a bartender it's like this is amazing yes i can so they brought me the actresses for Asian girls because uh, that part was in a Macau casino. So I teach them how to act as a bartender. So how to hold the shaker, how to hold the jigger, how to hold the bottle, and most importantly, how to shake. Because it was always shaken and stir. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I did this full training and the next thing was, I got another message from them. It's like, Eric, we'd like you to be part of the scene, <laughs> behind, behind the scene, but part of it. So you can see and make sure that everything what they do is spotless it's like wow. wow so because it's a born movie i just got the one morning a royce royce park out front of in front of my house saying i'm your chauffeur and i'm oh, wow. uh, ready to take you to pinewood studios sir it's like this is cool <laughs> i wish i wish that time we had instagram and a story proper proper like taken by royce royce to pinewood studios yeah. meeting stan mendes meeting daniel craig meeting literally everyone but the funny thing was that i just showed up with my little suitcase and the two shakers standing in the corner nobody even kicked into me but the moment barbara broccoli came she hugged me she kissed me everyone's like who is that guy he must be important <laughs> like, i'm just here uh, making sure the girls uh, shake the drinks properly i was like oh really so then daniel Crane came and was like so i heard you are the bartender he's like yeah kind of so where do you work at the sour oh cool i like sour so we had a nice conversation on that, and uh, and then uh, I was there whole day just to making sure that the girls really execute. And then Sam Mendes came to me and was like, Eric, so which girl is the best? I was like, Sam, I can't tell. They all have wings, and they all look same. He's <laughs> like, okay, you need to pick someone who will be on the prime shot. I was oh, like, no. okay, you know what? Let me do it one more time. Girls, let's do a little rehearsal. Come behind a bar, and all of you do a shake. Because I remembered one was very good. She had the, the best technique. So light them up all we did all i was like okay sam is that one it's like okay so she earned the spots thanks wow. to me wow. and, uh, serving uh, serving the shake and mustard martini to james but and with that obviously it was a great collaboration many other activations when when uh, they did the anniversary so all the former bond girls were there when they uh, released on dvds so they hired the train from london to edinburgh so I was making drinks on a train and then another movie, again, another training for a actor. And I was like, am I going to do the training forever for this bond? I know <laughs> how to shake, so I don't have to spend the travel. But it always was, one was in Morocco on a train, another one was in Macau. So it's like never fits. It's like hope one day. Anyway, so that's, that's pretty much it amazing fantastic absolutely amazing eric it has been such a pleasure as always to talk to you and to hear about your incredible journey yes. and we know that this is not the end of what we can expect from you so we're always looking forward to hearing your stories 
Absolutely. And we have to say to everybody who's listening, whether home or abroad, whenever you're in London, make sure that you do pop into Quaint because it is well, well worth a visit. Thank you so much, Bodo. It was amazing to be here with you, sharing the little little part of my life. And hopefully, as you said, Sandra, there will be more to share over a cocktail or two. I'm sure that will. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.